honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to the Strange on Purpose podcast. Uh, Today we had on Alex Ortiz, formerly of Ethica, Nike, I mean, a a former uh, Olympic trials athlete and uh, really, really cool dude, like former speed skater um, and just went from being an athlete to getting involved in the business side of sports and it's been it's been really cool just hearing his story actually he gave me a tour of the nike headquarters last year and it was really really dope um he i think he says it through the podcast but it's um two times the size of disney world or something like that which is i mean you think of you think of disney world it's already massive but um, you don't really get a good gauge on as to how big Nike is until you're there. So um, it's really cool. But here is Alex. He's got a dope story. Appreciate you guys listening. I think Milwaukee's like like really really slept on. Um, but obviously, there's a lot of people like hearing about it, and um, I think in a way, it's almost a blessing that the DNC might be virtual. Um, because then I feel like a lot of people still won't know about the city, but the city has time um, to prepare for the next DNC or the next big event that we actually decide to throw. But mm-hmm. Milwaukee's dope, and it was it was really cool hearing like, I mean, all the similarities in our journey. I mean, from being a racing sausage to <laughs> like just like everything else. Like it, it's really really cool. Um, but like the the coolest thing about. Uh, us actually getting to sit down and have conversations with people um, during quarantine is it checks off the box of me needing to talk to someone other than my girlfriend in my apartment. And then it also checks off a box on uh, these really, really dope stories. And you have a really, really cool story. But uh, before we get into like anything like that, do you want to like let everyone know who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Alex Ortiz. Um, I uh, am a sports marketing. I work in sports marketing management, um, and I've been in the sports industry for about twelve years now. Um, before I got into working in sports, I was a, a U.S. speed skater. Um, I had a dream of becoming an Olympian uh, ever since I was a little boy. Uh, I watched every single Olympic Games, uh, winter, summer. Uh, and originally, I wanted to be a track and field runner. I specialized in the 400 meter, 800 meters uh, when I was a kid. And then in 2006, I watched um, Apollo Ono win his gold medal on TV. And I thought that was so inspiring. Uh, when I saw him cross that line and just how emotional he was and when he received his gold medal, uh, that just really sparked something in me. And I just knew that I wanted to at least attempt to make an Olympic team in speed skating. So uh, that's where my transition um, and to speed skating was, uh, and I trained full time uh, as a athlete in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, at the Pettit National Center, and uh, that's that's where all where, where my journey came from. I mean, where it started. Uh, I grew up in a, a small town called Crest, Texas. Uh, it's about 700 people, so uh, not a lot going on there. Uh, but I was always inspired as a kid to uh, really push myself forward. Um, you know, we we. Growing up, we really didn't have any role models to look up to, um, you know, and I and I felt like that was going to be my responsibility uh, throughout my life. So I uh, spearheaded it. And, you know, even though I never made an Olympic team, I've always used the things that I learned from my coaches, from my teammates uh, to kind of always push the boundary. I always know that you can always go a little bit more further. Um, and that is what really pushed me into uh, working in sports, working with athletes, um, is because I have um, that experience, and I know what it's like to uh, I know what it's like to uh, have a complication between worrying about how you're going to pay for your training and then worrying about actual training. So if I can help, uh, if I can help an athlete um, manage, you know, their business on and off the field, I mean, I, I I'm so proud to to do that. So. Um, that's what inspired me to to get into the sports industry. 
Dude, you said you were a 400, 800 runner. That's a, that's a, like a mental, mental event, man. Like mad, mad props. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, my legs you, used to feel like jello doing that. Did, yeah. Did you, did you run those events? I was a triple jumper, but um, I should have been a runner. It just always, inter- always interfered with my jumping. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in school, in high school, or actually in junior highs when I started, um, they wanted us to do uh, both. Uh, a running event and a field event um and they wanted me to do triple jump and so i said okay cool let's sign up i'll sign up uh, and at that time i was already uh, developing myself as a 400 meter runner and yeah. i remember i was uh, i was uh, what is it like the runner up like i was next to compete uh there's a word for it. i'm blanking on it but anyways i saw the athlete do it and i was this was the first time i see an athlete do the triple jump and he's he tripped over himself and he fell and he twisted his ankle and i'm like no 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 i'm not going to do this because (laughs) i my focus is on the 400 meter 800 meter and if i trip and i fall and i twist my ankle my season's done so i convinced my coach to drop me out of the triple jump i was terrified Uh, so i i I did not that was just a terrifying uh, thing to witness and i was like 11 that is funny yeah, yeah, that event's yeah. crazy on your knees sometimes if you don't do it right. Uh, props to you. And then and then you see the guys who are in the Olympics. Um, I have a, a good friend, Will Clay. He's a uh, gold and silver medalist uh, for Team USA, and he does triple jump. And that is just insane. I mean, how far each of their step is, and then then they have to do the massive jump at the end. It's It's incredible. Yeah, they fly, man. Like, literally fly and, like... Track taught me a lot. Like that that's the one thing. Like, is it just you? You know, it's a team sport, but it's still mm-hmm. just you. It's a lot a lot like business. It's crazy Absolutely. because Absolutely. I think what's really, 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 really crazy is that you you trained at the Pettit and I had some of the worst times in my <laughs> life at the Pettit. because uh, I was a track athlete as well in in college and I shouldn't have been, and we actually ran at the tr- uh, at the Pettit because of that track around the ice there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Q used to make fun of me all the time because he'd be <laughs> doing laps around me as I was huffing and puffing the entire time. Wow! And did did you guys grow up together in Milwaukee? No, uh, so college. I'm actually yeah, college. I'm okay. I'm originally from Chicago. Gotcha. Yeah, okay, from Twin Cities. Oh, very cool. Okay, so you guys are Midwestern guys, but uh, you ended up in, in Milwaukee. Yeah. So oh, very it's, cool. It's been really cool. Really, really cool. Um, That's incredible. I mean, to go from, to see me go from the douchebag college kid to the <laughs> a little less douchebag adult, um, it's been it's been fun. <laughs> and to see Q, like, break out of his shell and um, all of a sudden talk on massive stages has been eye-opening for everything so really really cool but like obviously like you everything that you described earlier is dope like and it's in a ton of people's dreams to to be even in the places that you were in what what did you learn from training for the olympics like what mentally like what what do you need every day to kind of go in there and have almost like continue that mindset on an everyday basis. Absolutely. Um, I think the the main thing that I've learned uh, as a kid when I was training and then transitioning into business is that um, adversary, uh, being an adversary and uh, facing adversity, um, it's, you can't avoid it. Um, and I think when you set yourself up to have a mindset of things are not always going to go your way. And you are going to lose, you know, there are going to be times when you're going to be put down and you're going to just feel like you're not worth being there or worth being there in a moment. And, you know, when training for speed skiing, there was, it was, it was such like a, a, like a real life metaphor. You know, I, I was an ice skater who fell constantly, constantly. And, you know, there's these pro athletes, some would laugh at me and some would actually go up to me like, Hey, the reason you fell is because, um, and then they would, they would give me their uh, opinion on how I can change my technique. I'm not, not to fall. But the one thing is, is that I've always embraced the, the knowledge of, of, of failing. Um, and instead of being resistant to failure, I was more embraced to it. I'm not letting it scare me from, from taking my, 
either my goals or my dreams at that time to the next level. Um, and just like training as a as an Olympic athlete, um, as mentioned, I never made an Olympic team. But, you know, those four years of actually living at the Olympic Training Center and training for a high intensity sport like speed skating, uh, it it really taught me that there's always extra push in you. Uh, it helps you develop your mindset to where um, your body wants to give up, but your mind, um, you learn how to develop a mindset to where, man, you could just give that little extra. If you just give that little extra, you can always push push forward. Um, and as mentioned, you know, sometimes uh, things work out and sometimes they don't. But, you know, as for me, as long as I'm able to, at the end of the day, lay my head down on my pillow and just think that I gave everything, that extra, um, I, you know, I think that's what makes me uh, satisfied and moving forward. Uh, one of my quote, one of my favorite quotes uh, is uh, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary uh, is just that little extra, you know, just uh, mm -hmm. that extra put into the word ordinary makes the definition uh, completely different. Um, and so that's that's the path that I've chosen. And of course, uh, looking from the outside in, uh, you know, have a. Uh, I have a few uh, students that I, I mentor and uh, they mentioned, oh, wow, I can't believe you've been to all these countries and, you know, you've been to the Olympics, uh, you know, work in the Olympics. And and of course, I want them to know the, the honesty of it. It's it's that you have to give so much to it. Um, lots of yeses, lots of no's, lots of being kicked down, lots of uh, negativity. But, you know, I think the most important thing for us to do is is develop a mindset that's that's strong and <clears throat> un, unshakable, um, and I think that's for me the most important thing that I've learned. How have you been able to like take take that almost mamba mentality and and apply it to to business? Like what like what do you think has really been able to push you? Do you think that mentality has been able to push you further um, in business or do you feel like you're almost a perfectionist in a, in a sense where you're kind of stuck in making sure that everything is perfect? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I love to share this with you. Um, and this is my personal opinion. Um, you know, this is something that is something that's worked for me and something that has really helped push me uh, forward. <clears throat> you know, it's, I, I've been to meetings and interviews with companies where they look at my resume um, and for the past 10 years, 12 years, I've worked for six companies. And, you know, one of the interviews asked me, it's like, you know, we're looking for somebody who, who has experience in longevity, someone who has been with a company for six, eight years. Um, and for me, the most I've been with the company is about four years. And so my response to him was that, um, you know, as, as an, former athlete, I'm always pushing myself to be better. Um, and if I'm not, if I feel like I'm not developing, I'm moving forward. Um, and so, for example, uh, I started my career with Oakley and I started in retail as a retail associate. Then I worked, worked my way up to retail management um, and then worked my way up to the corporate level. Uh, but it got to a point where I was not moving. Um, every year I was, I was trying to progress and I was progressing, but it got to a point where there was no more room to progress where I was. So I had to make the decision to um, leave the company and go to another company. And that's where I went to Ethica. Um, and, you know, I started growing uh, field marketing and then sports marketing, uh, developing, and then an opportunity, an incredible opportunity, uh, you know, leaving Ethica was an incredibly hard decision because I was so tied to that company. And um, if you, if you haven't heard of Ethica, I mean, those guys are rock stars. The product is amazing. The team is amazing. Um, and when I decided to leave Ethica, it was it was all on good terms. I I, I had an opportunity to, to to grow further into my career, um, and so my decision uh, to uh, kind of not hop around these companies but more progress with different companies is because when I was an athlete, I learned that if I'm not pushing myself every day, then what type of athlete am I? Um, and I think that having a goal like being trying to make the Olympics is, is, you know, it's, it's almost, it's like you win a gold medal every day just because you wake up training to your absolute best. And I think for me, when I transitioned that mentality into business, it was 
always that every day I wake up and I'm trying to do better. And if I ever feel that I'm not progressing or if I'm not being pushed or if I'm not pushing, there's no and if there's no room for growth, then I feel it's my time to move forward because um, progression doesn't stop. You know, and if you have control of that, then, uh, you know, I'm always going to try my best to push myself. I was watching First Man the other day with my girlfriend, which essentially is just about like Neil Armstrong going to the moon. I'm not sure if you've seen it um, or the race to the moon rather. And I was just sitting there and I'm like, damn, like I'm so tired of just being a marketer or just being a business dude or just like selling just for the sake of selling. And it's like, when was the last time like collectively or like even individually where we just like actually did something that mattered, you know, we actually worked on something that was purposeful, um, that had a mission behind it, you know, that had a real story behind it. And you saying all that just reminds me of my time. Like the reason I started my company is because I got so damn bored working at other companies. You know, I got so mm. bored just working on, hey, here's this brief or here's this copy that you need to write. Okay, like I'm going to give you $10 an hour or here's 40000 or you're like, you know, just no mission, no real growth mm-hmm. there. So I love that you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I actually have a question for, for Q. Um, I, I've seen that you've done a, a few TED Talks, um, which is incredible and it's super inspiring. And for me, I've, I've had uh, in my early on in my career, I had a hard time speaking in front of people. Um, mm. And I remember, you know, if I had a meeting with one of our GMs or our CEO, like my voice would get so shaky because I was nervous that it <laughs> sounded like I was going to cry. I mean, has, has that ever happened? I mean, and I, I, I knew that if my career was going to progress and I'm going to have to meet agents and athletes, I'm like, I do not want to sound like I'm going to cry. So I need to, I, I need to, <laughs> I, I, I need to exercise my voice. Like literally I need to practice speaking. Um, how was that experience for you? Like, how did, how did you, um, kind of get your flow into into speaking from small crowds into a, a TED talk bro like literally same thing like Izzy like whenever me and Izzy speak together he always makes fun of me and everybody just dies laughing because <laughs> I was that dude that was just like sitting in his dorm room playing guitar I didn't want to talk to a single soul I'm like leave me the fuck alone like <laughs> I don't want to talk like that was just me um, and it was like I think senior year I was about to graduate and I was starting like this virtual reality startup and my friends like can I interview you and it was the worst thing that I did in my life. Like, it was so bad. I'm like, oh, my God, that can never happen again. So since then, I was just always learning to talk, always learning to communicate. And then, like, maybe two years after that, three years after that, I stepped on a stage for the first time. And it was the same thing, you know. It was just learning how to communicate in a different in a different light. And I just did it a bunch. And eventually, I got comfortable. But it wasn't getting comfortable, like, speaking like someone else, you know. I still spoke like me. I was still super weird. Like, I'll stop and just, like... <laughs> go on a tangent sometimes like I'll stop and call somebody out because that's just who I am Uh, but I got really comfortable at just being me on stage and once I could remove that barrier like I don't know it was just it was simple you know because it was just another conversation I love that man I love that um you know the worst advice ever I ever took was uh picture the crowd naked uh the worst (laughs) advice in my life I I got uncomfortable I got got awkward (laughs) no no I'm kidding but um I I I think for me it just um whenever I go I mean I started speaking at high schools um Mm. because I I wanted to to practice my speech uh, capabilities and so I started reaching out to local high schools like hey do you guys have a program or um, you know, you have like a sports program, somebody wants to work in sports. And so there were a few uh, schools that, that I did. And then uh, a friend of mine was the president of um, a sports business initiative club at uh, San Diego State. And he said, hey, we have a group that's called SBI. We, uh, we do uh, monthly meetings where we have a guest speaker come in and talk about their career. Um, and every single person in that club um, is inspired, is aspiring to be a uh, a sports industry professional. And so I, I thought that that was my first time speaking in front of a large crowd, especially with college kids. I mean, I, yeah. I was so nervous about that because, you know, I, 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 in my mindset, I was thinking, Oh my God, like these, these students are possibly be critical. They're going to, you know, like, what can I do to uh, make sure I have their attention throughout my entire speech? Um, and so I thought, you know, instead of doing like a, a speech and a slideshow, um, I wanted to bring like 
like prizes and I, I did a, I did a little test where I asked a question and no one no one answered and then one person raised their hand and answered and I went into my backpack and I had like a cool prize and I gave them a cool prize and all of a sudden everybody wanted to answer my questions <laughs> and so it was it was kind of it was kind of like you know uh, bringing some cool things for them but also having them participate yeah. um, and then one of my main goals uh, you know once I got comfortable speaking um, I started doing more and I wanted uh, students to, to uh, learn uh, at the end of my speech. I, I tell them that, um, you know, one of my main objective objective uh, to coming to personally to universities was to help them realize that that was an investment in their careers. They took the time out of their day to go to this, whether it's spending money on gas or whether it's spending money on a bus ticket just to get there to hear me speak and that's an investment you know i think a lot of people yeah, think of investment as like a thousand dollars or five thousand dollars into um starting like a fund or starting something but and which is great but sometimes it's the little things like going to see someone speak personally someone going to uh, an event where you're learning that's an investment in itself and i think that's what's really inspired me to do public speaking um you know uh, Q, I've I've seen a few clips of your TED talk, and that's that's where I want. That's the level I want to be. I want to. You have so much confidence, and you and you you're a great storyteller, um, dude. I it was. I won't, I'm not gonna say it was fake confidence because it wasn't, but I was so fucking nervous. Like, and then when I went on stage, it just I blacked out, so I don't remember a single thing. Dude. So, <laughs> if any, literally, if I can do any of that, there's no one on this planet that cannot step on a stage and just crush it. I love that because I, I am weird. That. And, and and I think for you too, it's 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 about talking about something you you care about, yeah. which which I think really gives you a natural sense of confidence. Like when I talk, like I am obsessed with the Olympics. Like I have an obsession with the Olympic Games since I was a little boy. I remember the first Olympics I saw was 1996 Atlanta, and I remember seeing uh, Muhammad Ali light the light the cauldron on TV, and I painted the Olympic rings on my room. My parents were pissed when they found out that I did that. Uh, you know, because the funny story is I actually got my mom's because uh, I, I couldn't draw perfect circles, so I grabbed my mom's lampshade from the living room. <laughs> and and I put it on my wall and I traced the bottom of it that was the wider end and I traced it with permanent marker and it left all this permanent marker on her lampshade oh. <laughs> and, and and these were just brand new lampshades she just got but you know she asked what worth this black marker was on her shade I said I don't know and she goes into my ring my room and sees these five rings on my on my wall <laughs> I was like damn it I got caught but um <laughs> You know, and so when I have an opportunity to talk about the Olympics, like I don't even hesitate, like I don't even get nervous, like my stage fright goes away. It's just because it's it's a passion. Um, and I think when you speak on your passion and authentically engage with the crowd, I think it's just really helpful, uh, at least for me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Speaking of the Olympics, like you've you've had a obviously you trained. Um but you've had some experience actually working at the mm -hmm. Olympics. Can you mm -hmm. go into detail as to like what you were there for and like what that experience really entailed for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I retired from training uh, in 2010 and I decided, um, I, I'll tell you something, we can get into this a little bit later, but uh, for, for a year, the reason I retired from training is because I had an opportunity to move to LA and I worked on a TV show. And um, I was like a backup dancer and a backup background actor and, um, you know, working as like an extra in some other shows. And um, for me, that was like a really cool thing. And uh, a year later, it just didn't feel right. And I knew that I got to I got to be back in sports like sports has always been my thing. And and it was it's like a calling. So I, in 2011, I got back into um, I started working with Oakley. Um, and then, you know, of course, the Olympic drive was still there. Like I, I thought that since I stopped training that it was not realistic for me to go to the Olympics. I just, all right, just watch it on TV every year. Um, and so I started doing research on how I can be involved uh, with the Rio Olympics. It was 2014 at that time. 
And um, I had learned that they have a volunteer program. A majority, I didn't know this about the Olympics at the time, that the majority of their workforce are volunteer members from their doctors to their trainers to, um, you know, to guest, guest relations to um, the results coordinators, everyone. And they come from all walks of life. And I was so stoked. And, um, you know, I had never worked in an international event. I had never traveled outside the country uh, before. And um, I applied. And, uh, you know, for Rio, uh, I'm not I'm not bad uh, bashing them. But, you know, Rio was the organizing committee was a little disorganized. Um, you know, we received emails that we weren't supposed to receive. Um, uh, I, I received an email in 2015 where uh, they invited me to an in-person interview in Rio. Um, and initially, only Brazilians were allowed to have face-to-face -face interviews. Um, international uh, applicants were only able to interview via Skype. Um, and so they accidentally sent me an in-person invite, and so I accepted it. And then a week later, they said, oh, we, we sent that in error. We're, we're so sorry. Let's set up your Skype interview. And I thought to myself, it's like, I've never been to Brazil. Um, and I would love to have the opportunity to go there and interview. And so I convinced them to let me go. But they said, you have to pay for your hotel. You have to pay for your flight. Everything's going to be in Portuguese. And I said, you know what, let's do it. And I knew no Portuguese at all. I had never been to Brazil, but I thought, man, what a great way to, to immerse myself in that culture. Um, so I did it. I, 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 I did a GoFundMe page and I raised money and um, you know, I had about 25 donors who donated uh, X amount of money and uh, raised the money and went to Brazil by myself. And I learned Portuguese for three months on YouTube. Every single day I would wow. go on YouTube wow. and I download Duolingo on my phone. So like almost every spare moment I had, I was learning Portuguese. So I learned basic Portuguese. And so I felt like I was ready. Um, I land in Rio and I, I'm thirsty, man. I want a coffee. I'm tired. I have already meetings planned up and I go to a Starbucks in the airport. And so I asked for a coffee, simple, like the most simplest uh, of Portuguese, like, um, eu quero um café com açúcar e leche. You know, it's very similar to Spanish. So I was able to uh, say that at least. And so they responded to trying to upsell me with different products. And that just threw me off. I was like, oh, my God, like, I do not understand what one word they said. I'm like, what did I get myself into? And this is the airport, dude. Like, I hadn't even gone out into the city. Um, so I was like, oh, my God, what did I get myself into? And um, so I, I get to Rio and it took me about three days to get acclimated. But, man, if you actually immerse yourself in a culture, you will learn it very quick. Um, and I went to my interview. I went to my interview and it was um, at a university in downtown Rio and uh, it was completely Portuguese and I was the only uh, foreigner there and um, they really helped me out. They were very patient with me. Um, but, you know, when I left that interview, I, I didn't know if I was going to, and this was all for a volunteer job. Like I wasn't going to be paid for it. I wasn't going to get any kind of stipend, but this was just because I wanted to contribute to the first Olympics in South America in history. And I wanted to be a part of that. And so, um, you know, I did that. And then luckily enough, I was selected uh, to work the Rio Olympics. So I was a results coordinator for field hockey. Um, and uh, that was that was awesome. Um, you know, I got to go to the Olympics. Um, and I, I wrote this letter to the organizing committee to Rio explaining in my application process, I, I, I spoke to them about my my passion as a kid for the Olympics, me trying trying to make the Olympics, and um, and so when I got to Rio, uh, they told me to, if I can get to Rio a few days before the opening ceremony. So I said absolutely. So I changed my flight. I didn't. They said they had a surprise for me and a group of volunteers, and so I had no idea what was going on. So I get to Rio and I go to the uh, the organizing committee's office, and they said, hey, we want to invite you to the dress rehearsal for the opening ceremonies. I'm like, no way. So. Um, I got invited to the dress rehearsal. I got to see the opening ceremonies before anybody. And they said, oh, actually, uh, so we, we're, we're, going, we're, we're sitting down. The opening ceremony dress rehearsal started. And they're like, oh, actually, there's more to your surprise. We want you to be a flag bearer. Because, um, you know, in the Olympics, they have the athletes parade. And so the athletes hold the flag yeah. and the, all yeah. the athletes come in. So in dress rehearsal, they select certain volunteers to be flag bearers so that the camera guys can get their angles and so uh, they selected me to be a flag bearer. And so I'm in the tunnel. I'm in the tunnel at the Maracanã Stadium with uh, 
the flag of Tuvalu, which is a small island uh, near Australia. And I was just thinking, oh my God, like my whole life I dreamt of walking in an opening ceremony. And as weird as it was, like the circumstances of a volunteer, like not an athlete, I still got to fulfill that dream. Um, so that was one of the greatest moments of my life, walking to Maracanã Stadium. Um, and so, you know, I, I worked with uh, uh, the field hockey events in Rio. And then during Rio, LA announced that they're bidding for their Olympics. And so, of course, I had to be on that team. Um, I was one of the first volunteer members of the LA 2024 at the time Olympics. And of course, it ended up being 2028. So um, and then just uh, in February, uh, the uh, U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee com uh, called contacted me and asked me if I was uh, able to help them out with team processing for the Tokyo Olympics. So anytime the athletes arrived in Tokyo, we're giving them their jackets, their pants, their shoes, their watches, sizing them for their rings. Um, and of course, that's absolutely. And so this was just before, um, you know, uh, COVID-19 became uh, a, a pandemic. And of course, everything unfolded and the Olympics are now postponed for the first time. But uh, yeah, I've had a I've had a very unique journey with the Olympics, and uh, I'm I'm really excited we we get to host the Olympics in 2028. Um, so that's going to be uh, an incredible year for uh, for us for for sports and then for the Olympics. That's incredible, dude. Like you, it it really seems like you truly are living a dream, and I can hear the passion behind your voice. Um, so. The switch from or the the move from Ethica to to Nike. Can you describe mm -hmm. how the two cultures were, how different the two cultures were? And you you spoke very highly of Nike, and I just wanted to hit on that at least for a few minutes on this podcast mm -hmm. um, when we met last last year, um, and you gave me a tour of the the HQ and everything like that. So how was your time at at the organization? I had was I was previously with Ethica. And with Ethica, when I started there, there's about 12 of us in a very small office in San Clemente, and uh, that's in SoCal. And uh, throughout my three-year tenure there, I saw the company grow from 12 people to about 100 and pe 150 people. So there's a lot of growth within a short amount of time, and it was just an amazing experience being able to see that growth and to see where the company is today. Um, now, when I went to Nike, it was a completely different experience because of the magnitude of the brand. Um, the first day I stepped foot on campus, it was as if I was going back to college. Um, it, it's a massive campus that's, uh, that's I think, about twice the size as UCLA, um, three times the size of Disneyland. Um, so yeah. it, it's, it's just yeah. a massive uh, place. Uh, so I worked in, in the digital department, so I worked with... Um, like their membership marketing and, and uh, consumer services. Um, so it was, it was a very, you know, I it's been a while since I've, I've worked in a role like that. I've been working in sports marketing for the past six years. Um, but when I had the opportunity to work at Nike, I, I mean, that would be something I would never give up. So um, I, went, I went to Nike under a one-year contract um, and uh, was able to just really immerse myself in, into that culture and uh, was able to meet a lot of incredible people. Um, you know, when you see Nike uh, is the number one sports brand in the world, um, you, uh, as a consumer, you, you they'll come to knowledge as because of how amazing the product is, the quality of the product that they have, the incredible athletes that they sponsor. Uh, but when you're on that campus and, and you get to actually be a part of the team, you understand exactly how it's the number one sport brand. Um, you know, the management team was in absolutely incredible. My teammates, um, you know, no one ever complained about anything. It was, and because everyone was so proud to be there. And everyone was just um, incredible. And every single person on my team, there's about 18 people on my team. And every single one of us were pro or former athletes, whether former collegiate athletes or former, former pro athletes. Um, one of my managers... Uh, her name was uh, Elizabeth Brenner, and she was the first uh, male or female athlete in NCAA history to be a five-sport uh, five athlete in Division One. So she went, to the school, she went to school at the University of Oregon, and she played volleyball, track and field, basketball, softball, um, 
and there's one more I, I can't remember but Damn. those were the type of people who, who were there and and the incredible thing is like nobody walked in through those doors with an ego at Damn. least not on my team not on Damn. my team and that's 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 crazy um because these uh, that team just had uh incredible history and in, and in sports and state champions and, and college national champions and not once did did I ever feel like I was, um, you know, you know, uh, not once I ever felt disrespected. Not once did I hope that I, I never intimidated anybody else. But all of us were collectively excited to be there, and and none of none of us had egos. And uh, you know, every month we we're just breaking sales records because um, our team was fairly new in the Nike uh, matrix. And so every single month we're just breaking sales records, breaking sales records. And it just was because it was a powerful team. So my contract ended in, in January. Um, and, uh, it, you know, looking back, it was just an incredible experience. Um, and that, that, of course, that's always going to be a part of my history, a part of my, uh, my journey. That's amazing, dude. And, and like, and, uh, not, and not to mention, not to mention, I have to say this, um, uh, they have a really cool tradition uh, during the summer. They have these things called Thirst Thursdays. And so uh, every every Thursday during the summer from June to August, uh, they shut down the campus at 2 p.m. And uh, they have a, a soccer pitch called Ronaldo Field, which is two actual size soccer fields put together. And it's called uh, Ronaldo Field after Cristiano Ronaldo. And um, they... They get like uh, vendors, like food vendors, drink vendors, DJs, music. Um, and then every Thursday, the entire campus just goes and drinks and eats all free. And it's, it's you get to meet other teammates and you get to meet people from other departments. And, uh, you know, when you when you see when you say that uh, a company is a family, you look at Nike and they're really a family. Like it's how I mean, how massive they are. They're able to. To, to collectively be together one one day out of the week throughout the summer and it's incredible so that was my absolute favorite uh, thing about of course the experience is awesome but thirst thursday i mean if you have a drink in front of me i'm always gonna be down <laughs> that's funny that's amazing um, two things on my end um one i want to know what you're doing now but two like how are you taking those lessons because it sound like sounds like there was a great culture i wasn't at the um the tour but i've always just heard great things from employees that have worked there. Mm -hmm. um, how are you taking those lessons into what you're doing now? Mm, I think the, the one of the greatest lessons I've learned uh, about working at Nike was that um, you don't have to have an ego uh, to get far. You don't have to, to make people feel less to get far or ahead. Mm. Um, because at least on my team, no one ever made me feel that way. Everyone was always encouraging always, um, you know, rooting for the other person. Um, and I think that's inspiring. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's, it's a bummer that there's a lot of work culture around uh, these days that uh, are, are so competitive that, that the respect is lost and that the, yeah. and, and the, uh, the sportsmanship is lost. Um, and at, at Nike, every single one of us, we walk through those doors ready to kick ass, super competitive, but our you know, our personality never faded. Our, our trust in one another never faded. Our friendships were just so real and authentic. Um, and that's what I'm going to take away. And, you know, I'm, I'm about to enter the next step into my career journey. And whoever I join, um, you know, I hope and, you know, my, my intent is to make sure that I bring a culture like that um, to wherever I go, is to bring that culture over uh, to be a, a, a team uh, a culture where we're always competing against each other, but we never lose respect. And I think that's important for me. Yeah, I love that. Similar for our team, man. Like, I'm competitive as hell. Like, we have a we have meetings sometimes on this game called Apex Legends. Like, me and Izzy, like, I will just, I will zone out. Like, you try to talk to me during something, like, I'm going to fuck you up. That's what we're going to do. And it's the same for me in business, but... <laughs> Like, there's also mad love, too, you know? And there's no ego. Like, if I lose, I lose, you know? Like, yeah. I, I think that. 
Um, you know, what I learned at Nike was that you can be competitive, extremely competitive, but also not lose your sportsmanship. And I think that yeah. they did a really good job at Nike in doing that. Um, and, you know, the next the next company or the next uh, team that I join, uh, I hope to I hope to bring that culture uh, over to them um, because uh, Nike just nailed it. Um, I was just so impressed with them. Um, and who knows, who knows, maybe in the near future, I might be back on the team, but, uh, for now, uh, you know, I'm focusing on, on some other things and, um, you know, hoping, hoping to get the ball rolling as soon as, you know, everyone's healthy and, and ready to get back to work. What are those other things? What's, what's next for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the past 12, uh, 12 years I've been working with sport brands. Um, you know, I've been developing uh, my skill sets and sales, marketing operations um and uh i knew that when i was um i knew by 2020 i wanted to transition into a sports agency um i actually want to uh work with the sport agency uh develop uh develop uh, my sponsorship sales skills and also uh working as a, a rep for athletes um uh, that's something that i think i can utilize my entire career into um uh, doing and uh, that's what that's you know I've, I've already been having a few meetings with a few agencies in LA and um, funny crazy story is actually I, I had landed a uh, I had a few phone interviews with an agency and a sports agency and um, I they invited me to go out to uh, LA to interview and um, I'm driving to Los Angeles and I'm listening to the radio and this is the beginning of March just recently so I'm driving from Texas to L.A. And the reason I didn't fly was because um, they were recommending not flying. And I just wanted to be as safe as possible and as healthy as possible. So I decided to drive. So I drove from Texas to L.A. 19 hours. And I'm passing through Arizona. And I hear on the radio that the NBA has suspended their season. Uh, mm. indefin- or indefinitely, like, you know, postponed it, I should say. Um, and so I was like, oh no. <laughs> and then I start hearing MLB has postponed their season and then I see an NHL and then MLS. So I'm like, oh my goodness. And I'm thinking, I, this is a sport agency job. Like this, I hope this doesn't interfere with my meeting. Um, and so I hadn't received any phone call or any email and I get to, I get to LA, uh, I get to LA the night before my meeting and I get an email from, uh, the person who I'm supposed to meet with saying that um, the owner of the company decided to shut down the offices for health reasons. And so all my meetings were canceled. And um, I had literally just drove 19 hours for this meeting and uh, everything was canceled. And luckily I was able to salvage it because I invited him out for coffee. I said, Hey, you know, I know that uh, things are kind of crazy right now um, and we're not quite sure what's going on, but I would love to at least meet you for some coffee. Like I'm here, uh, you know, I would love to just sit down and have a conversation face to face. And so we did, you know, I was able to salvage it. And then uh, a week later, I, I was able to hop on a virtual video conference call with uh, the CMO and, and, and the hiring manager. And so, um, you know, I'm hoping that it goes in the right direction, but I'm, I'm also I'm also uh, being optimistic and, and keeping my options open. Uh, but my excuse me, my focus really right now is, is to transition into working in the sport agency. Have you ever thought of like esports or anything like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I've, um, I, I've always wanted my, uh, my career to be broad. I've always wanted to, uh, work with different types of athletes. Um, and to me, esports, uh, e-gamers are considered athletes. Um, you know, yeah. they, they train, they work, uh, just as hard. Um, so I, I firmly believe in the esports community. Um, heck, it might be an Olympic sport one day. Who knows? Um, Soon, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm very confident in, in that industry. And, um, you know, and I see a lot of uh, sport brands investing in teams. So I think that's really cool. It's a really cool uh, uh, direction forward for them and for that community. Um, you know, and, and in my experience, I've worked with uh, basketball players, hockey players, football, uh, soccer. MMA, um, you know, so I, I've worked with a, a wider variety of, of athletes. So I think that's why I'm, I'm really, really interested and really focused right now to, to transition into a sport agency. Um, the agency that I, I'm focused on right now primarily focuses on uh, MMA and football. But, you know, who knows, maybe they'll expand into esports, soccer, football or basketball. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I'm really excited. But 
right now, um, you know, after, of course, after having that conversation with, with him um, a few weeks ago, uh, we're, we're just unsure when everything's going to get back to normal. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying my best not to be impatient because I can definitely be an impatient person. Um, so I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm in Colorado right now. I'm with my sister and her family. Uh, she has twins. And so they keep me entertained. Um, you know, just enjoying my time, enjoying my time, just being still. And, and, um, of course being productive. I mean, when I mean productive, I mean, reaching out to all my, all my friends, all my contacts, all the athletes that I've ever connected with. Um, you know, so making sure that everyone's good, making that uh, communication open. Um, and I love what is said earlier is that, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of, uh, maybe a lot of people are being pressured to, to be doing something like, Oh, you have to be proactive. Like if you don't come out of this, uh, quarantine with a new skill or a new, uh, talent, like you wasted your time. I, I think this is, these are just circumstances that are just so unique that I think it's just a great time to just stop and, and just to, be with loved ones and just to enjoy the, the, the time that's, that's still like, I'm not a type of person that can be still, uh, but I'm learning <laughs> I'm learning how to just uh, be still and, and how to reset my mind and my focus. Yeah. It's important, man. Very I think important. we all are too. Like we're just, Q put it perfectly in his LinkedIn post today and in, in his newsletter. It's like, it's some like this situation no one has gone through, right? Like we've all gone through or most of us have gone through some type of recession or um, a, a situation like 9-11 or mm-hmm. anything like that. But no one has really experienced something like a pandemic. And um, like we, we have a bunch of buddies and family in New York and seeing everything that's coming out of that city and seeing that everything that's coming out of the world really and... Um, it's just, it's important. It's, it's been eye opening from my perspective to just like take a step back and really see like, all right, what truly matters here? And it does mm-hmm. the, the little, the things that I used to sweat every day, um, when none of this was going on, do they really matter anymore? And I, I've I really realized that they don't and, uh, just got to keep moving and keep pushing on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, this might be going a little bit too deep, but you know, if you have a conversation with somebody who, um, you know, maybe like a grandparent um, and you, they're towards, you know, kind of the end of, of their life and you ask them, what's what's one of your biggest regrets or what is something you wish you would have done differently? You know, the majority I remember my grandparents answer uh, was that they wish they would have spent more time with their kids. They wish they would have spent more time with their grandkids. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like like we're having that opportunity right now, you know? So I I think the most productive thing we can do is spend time with our loved ones. And, you know, and I know that in in reality, not everybody has somebody to spend time with. And I, you know, I I think we just have to think about those people and send good vibes because a lot of people are in very unique situations. And, you know, I'm so thankful to be with my family. Um, So thankful to, to just, you know, wake up and, and be happy um, so definitely sending thoughts and prayers to those uh, people who are, who are alone and who, uh, you know, are in, in unique circumstances. So dig that dude. What, um, yeah, absolutely. we asked this question to everybody that jumps on the podcast and I don't want to take up more of your time. Um, so I'm just going to ask it, uh, what makes you strange on purpose? Um, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, I actually researched the, the word strange the other day. I mean, you know, of course, all of us know what strange means. And, you know, a lot of people use it in different contexts. But um, when I researched it, it's, um, you know, I, I found that it's typically defined as like something that's unsettling or something that's hard to understand. And, you know, for me, I've, I've, I've been attempting to, to, to go bigger all my life. I've always been trying. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, I think when attempting to strive for your dreams, uh, you quickly learn that there will be decisions in your life that most people won't understand. There's going to be times when, uh, you know, your decisions bring you into unique, unsettling situations. So looking from 
from the other perspective, you know, some people might think you're strange. Like, why, why does he decide to do this? Why does he put himself through that? Why doesn't, why does he have a family? He's almost 30. Why doesn't, why didn't he just doesn't settle down? Like that's strange for normality. Um, for me all my life, I've never been normal. I've always been somebody who's always attempted to push the needle forward. Um, but as most people, uh, refrain from being defined as strange, I embrace it. Um, I embrace the uniqueness that it brings, which challenges the status quo. Um, I think, you know, being strange on purpose helps set a powerful stage uh, for powerful stories. And I fully embrace those challenges that it brings. And I think that's that's what makes me strange on purpose. It's an amazing answer. That has been one of the better answers. I mean, I can't really, I just judged them, but I can't really judge any other answer because everybody's strange in their own way, right? But I, mm-hmm. I love that, man. Yeah, I agree. Appreciate that. Lastly, like, where where can people like keep up with what what you've got going on? Where can they learn more about you? What should they be paying attention to? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm I'm super active on my uh, Instagram. I'm not cool enough to. I have a TikTok, but I'm trying my best. <laughs> I'm trying my best to to keep up. I'm, that, I mean, even though I I uh, I had posted some videos and I I, I deleted them because I want to do something different. Um, but I am just hooked on watching these these TikToks because people are so creative and it's so rad to see, uh, you know, some of these kids make up these dances and just the creativity that comes out of it. And um, I, I love it. <laughs> I think TikTok's awesome. Um, yeah. But I'm not as connected, so I, I won't recommend following me on TikTok. But um, my Instagram <laughs> page, uh, my Instagram handle is at Alex underscore Ortiz 764. And I'm super... Uh, active on that on that platform and also my linkedin um just alex ortiz um as well as you know right now during this downtime i have reached out to uh, i have po- i've made a post recently reaching out to high school and university students because uh, most high schools and university uh, actually all high schools and universities are based at home so uh, i put, made a few posts on my instagram i'll probably make another one later this week about um you know, reaching out to me if, if, if anybody, um, you know, needs advice on how to do their resumes or how to do a cover letter or how to, you know, build their portfolio. Um, you know, I, I would love to lend a helping hand in any way that I can. Uh, you know, you know, I, you know, if you need help uh, with any of those things, just hit me up. Love that. I appreciate you jumping on Alex. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thank it's, you. it's really great. And I look forward to coming to Milwaukee. I've been wanting to come to Milwaukee for the longest time. Um, I still have a lot of good friends there, and um, I will treat you guys to a Brewers game because um, my Brewers still take care of me. So I will treat you guys to a Brewers game. Let's go. Looking forward to it, my man. (laughs) Stay safe out there, too. All right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys be safe, and uh, we'll see you when when the storm rolls through. All right. All right, dude. Thank you. Bye.